I was 12 years old in Meridian, Mississippi. There was a day I'll never forget. It, it was a total eclipse of the sun. It, it really it was amazing to see in the middle of the day, it turned dark. I mean, completely dark. For weeks they'd been telling us ahead of time, the newspaper had been saying everything that the eclipse was coming, and they talked about how you could see it, and they said you cannot look at it. Do not look up at it because it will blind you. you. You may not realize it's blinding you, but it will blind you. So they told us actually to get a box, like a shoebox, and you, have, you put a little hole in the shoebox, like right there, and then you put a pinhole. And in the back of the shoebox, as you looked away from the eclipse, you looked into the shoebox, and you could watch in that pinhole, you could watch the eclipse. Because they said, do it that way. It's safe. If you turn around to try to look at it, it will blind you. I remember that it was amazing, that it was the middle of the day. We all went outside. I remember standing in my front yard, and... It, it got darker and darker and darker. And, and, you know, it was really it was really kind of scary. It was almost like night. It wasn't completely night. Well, this evening, as we look in our passage tonight, Egypt gets plunged into total darkness. In fact, it's a heavy darkness. The way it's written in the Hebrew, it's almost as if you could feel the darkness. For three days, God judges Egypt. In fact, their eyes, it said they couldn't even penetrate the darkness. There's no eclipse of the sun in this. It's just God does it. We see the power of God who makes light and darkness. God brings darkness to a nation which is living in darkness because they've rejected the true God. There is always darkness when one rejects the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Well, now think about this. Let's think about the reasons that God brought the plagues on the Egyptians. Number one, if you remember, so they would know the folly of the true God. They'd know that, you know, excuse me, the folly of the false God, know about the true God. Second, so they would know the true God and see his power and greatness. So first of all, they'd realize false gods. Second, they'd see true gods. But we're going to find out tonight there's a third reason, and that is so they could pass these great events on to their children. So the third thing, and we'll see it tonight, because we hadn't been mentioned until now, but the third reason is they'd pass these great events on. Now, let me remind you about the plagues. There are ten plagues. If you have the handout, remember, you don't have to look at it right now, but there's, there's a cycle. Three, 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 and then the last one. And in that cycle, what you see is, first of all, the first place goes this way. They go first in the morning to Pharaoh, then, then to Pharaoh, and then the third one is no warning. And we saw that three times in a row. Think about last time. Here's what we saw, that Moses went to Pharaoh in the morning, hailstorm. Tonight, we're going to see he goes to Pharaoh, there's the locust. Then the third one, there's going to be no warning, and it's the darkness. So this is the, the last of the cycle of three. Because following this, there's going to be one more plague. And you know, when you study the Bible, what does everybody remember? We all say, well, we remember like Passover, Passover. That's the last plague. And that is, it's really the most ama- one of the most amazing things found throughout the Scripture. The plagues are judgments of the false gods of Egypt. Let me break down the passage for you. And for 1 through 20, we see the plague 8, which is the locust. They eat all that the hell did not destroy. Remember, they had the hailstorm and destroyed everything. And then plague 9 is the darkness. And we're going to see a, really a contrast, darkness in Egypt and light with the Jews. Because... The, Jew, the Egyptians can't see anything. They light candles. It won't, it, you can't see. But over where the Egyptians were, uh, where the Jewish people were, they could see. And then there's really the idea of contrast in God's word between light and darkness. And we see that in the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John has so many things. If you, if you decided not to go verse by verse through the Gospel of John, 
You could take all the places in which it talked about light and darkness. There's a number of places. You could do the seven AMs. You could do the, the, the seven signs. You could do the last sayings of Christ on the cross. I mean, you could, you could pick all these things out if you wanted to. What we're decided to do it, uh, on Sunday mornings is to go right through the book, verse by verse, passage by passage. So there's so much there. Now, as we look at the passage tonight, we're going to see the contrast again between the sovereignty of God, how He is working all events, how He, let me say it this way, He's hardening Pharaoh's heart. And at the same time, we see man's responsibility because Pharaoh has already hardened his heart. Five or six times it said Pharaoh hardened his heart. So we'll see how that ties together. God's sovereignty, man has freedom, and it all goes together. This evening, God continues to judge Egypt so they would know he's the true God. He can bring his people out, and they would be able to tell their children and their grandchildren. It's powerful. Well, let's see the eighth plague, okay? Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them. Now, God is in control. God tells Moses what to do. God says, Go. He's making Moses aware of all that he's going to do. Now, here's what we see. He says, I have hardened his heart. There are some people who, who read a verse like this and they say, It's not fair. See, Pharaoh didn't have a chance. God hardened his heart. But if you remember, Pharaoh hardened his heart five times before God ever hardened his heart. And so what we're seeing is it's almost a response as as Pharaoh refuses to listen to God and harden his heart, so then God hardens his heart. In fact, I think the slide says Pharaoh hardens his heart, stubborn, refuses to obey the true God, so God hardens his heart as he works out his plan. It all goes together. Now, look what he says. He tells Moses there are two reasons why he has hardened Pharaoh's heart. One of them is this. I think the next slide is that he might perform these signs among them. Notice the very end of verse 1. He said, I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I may perform these signs of mine among them. He's doing his miracles. And, And listen, think about this. What if when Moses went to Pharaoh... And said, let my people go. What if they were said, okay, see ya. What would Egypt know about the true God? Nothing. Every one of these judgments, and we got the handouts, every one of these judgments on the gods of Egypt, and what he's really trying to say is, listen, you need to realize that what you've worshipped, like a frog or the river or the, or the sun, or all, they're nothing. They're nothing. Then he says there's a second purpose. And that is that you may tell your son and grandson. Notice what he says. That you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord. And so he says, listen, tonight, two reasons. Perform the signs so he could show the miracles. And number two, that you could tell your son and grandson. That you could tell people after. Remember that Pharaoh, and here's the thing that that, that amazes me. Pharaoh thought... Pharaoh thought he was a god. Um, anybody in here think you're a god? You, we pretty much know we're not, right? Uh, there was probably somebody you knew in junior high that thought there was a god. But anyway, it's just the, the bottom line is Pharaoh actually said, I'm God. And my next son, my son, my oldest son will be the next god. He says, I made a mockery of the Egyptians. And I performed these signs so that they know that I am the Lord. This is what we've seen all the way through. 
that he's the Lord, he's God. I did this so you could pass this on to your children, that what I did, and showing the Egyptians who I am, that I am the great God and Savior. He wanted Moses and the Jewish people to be able to pass these down to their children and, and what he is like and his actions. And that's what they were to do. They were to pass down the person and work of God. They're supposed to tell their children what God is like. And then their children tell their children what God is like. Listen to this. I just want to read this to you. You don't have to turn there. This is Psalm 105. Verse 26. Listen to these verses. And he sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. And they performed his wondrous acts among them and his miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made it dark and they did not rebel against his words. He turned waters into blood. He caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs even in the chamber of the kings. He spoke and there came flies and gnats in all the territory. He gave them hell for rain and flaming fire in their land. He struck down their vines and their fig trees. He shattered their trees. He spoke and locusts came and young locusts even without number ate up all their vegetation. He struck down all the firstborn in their land. He brought them out with silver and gold among his tribes, and Egypt was glad when they departed, for the dread of them had fallen upon them. This is Psalm 105, verses 26 through 38. It's just a story. It's just reminding the people what God did. And their role was to pass it on. They were to pass it on to their children. And their children to pass it on to their children. They're to pass on who God is and what he did. And think about us. We've got to do the same thing. We're to take what we know and we're to pass it on. For, for a lot of you, you, you get to pass it on to your children and their children pass it on to their children. For others, maybe we don't have children or something. We, we pass it on to one of our closer friends or somebody and we teach somebody else or we disciple someone and we pass the truth on. Who is the Lord? Who is the Savior of the world? We do that. We're to pass on truths to those in our family. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, train up your children in the Lord. The role of the fathers is to teach their children the truth about God, salvation, and the Bible. I think those three things are the key areas. Whenever we do membership training, we always talk about what do we say about the Bible, what do we say about Christ, what do we say about salvation. Those are the big three. There's all kind of other things you need to study and know, but you must know what do we believe about Scripture, what do we believe about Christ, what do we believe about salvation. Those are the big three areas. And when you get those down, you're okay. How important are fathers? This study, I read this a long time ago, and then I've, I've read even recent studies that actually change it a little bit. Here's what it says. When the father in the family is an active believer, there is between 75 and 85% likelihood the children will be active believers. If the dad is coming and is involved and is a believer and living, you know, it out, about 75 to 85% of the time, the kids do the same thing. If only the mother is the believer and comes, just the mom, not the dad, it reduces it to about 15%. Now, that's amazing because daddies don't think, daddies don't think they have that much impact. I mean, how many of you, with the joke growing up, is mama will take them to school. Ma, ma, you, 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 the wife, ma, mama, mama will take you to church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch the ball game. I'm going to read the paper. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, you know, they just don't realize that, that little ones look 
Look to daddies. That's why the scripture says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Fathers, you're to teach their children day in and day out. We have the role of teaching those in our family the truths about Jesus Christ, about salvation, about the Bible, how to know and apply the word of God in our lives. We have to be faithful to do this. We have to pass it on. Somebody told you, right? Some of you were told by your folks. Some of you weren't. Some of you didn't know about it. I, by the, I, I, mean, I love my mom and daddy. They're the greatest, but they didn't tell me. They didn't know. I was rushed to Christ when I was 19. I came back and led my mother to Christ and my grandmother. So, you know, by the grace of God, we have the privilege to pass this on. God tells Moses, I've done all of this so that you can pass this on to the children. And, and notice at the end of the verse, he says that you may know that I am the Lord. So what is the purpose of the plagues? To judge the false gods, to know the Lord, and to pass it on to the children. So what happens? Watch. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of, of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. How many times have we heard this? Over and over and over again. What does he say? The Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitals, the God of the Hebrews, and then how long will you refuse to do what? Humble yourself. Because what is Pharaoh saying? I'm God, I make the decisions. And Moses is saying, when are you going to humble yourself and realize there is a true God and it's not you? And he says, before you let my people go that they may serve me. They're not supposed to serve the Egyptians. They're supposed to serve the living God. It's powerful. Now, you think about this. How do you come to God? Do you come to God in pride? Or do you come to God in humility? You come saying, I cannot save myself. I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God. There's not one thing that I could ever do to gain acceptance to God. I come and I humbly trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's how we come. We've seen it over and over. Let my people go so that they may serve me. Watch verse 4. For, but for if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. I'm going to bring all these, I'm going to bring these grasshopper things and they're going to eat everything up. Notice, they shall cover the surface of the land so that no, no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat all, all, the rest of what has escaped, what has left you from the hell, and they will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Then your houses will be filled, and the houses of your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, son to which neither your fathers nor grandfathers have, have seen from the day they first came to this earth until now. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Notice he, he doesn't really say, Pharaoh, um, uh, do something. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. And then he left. Now, we talked about when the gnats came, and we talked about when the flies came, and we talked about when the frogs came. And, I mean, it wasn't just a few frogs. You couldn't step. There's frog guts. There's stuff. You, you, you can't even move. They're everywhere, and the gnats all over you and all over your face. And, every, I mean, everything that we've talked about is, it's just not, it's horrible. And now he says, these locusts are going to come, and you're going to look up, and they're going to cover the sky. They're going to be so dark, you'll think it's a giant cloud. You don't know what's coming, and all of a sudden, these, these grasshopper things are going to come in here, and they're going to start eating everything. And you won't even be able to see the ground because it'll be covered with these things, and it'll be at the houses and the roofs and all everything. And you'll be able to walk, and there'll be just grasshopper locust things everywhere, eating everywhere. And he left. Look at verse 7. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, 
that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? Some of the servants came to him and basically said, listen, wait, let's wake up. This isn't working. How long are these people going to bother us? How long will this man hurt us? Let them go. Let them serve their God. We're being destroyed. I mean, they're, they're using wisdom. They're saying, let them go. So what does he do? He goes, all right. So Moses and Abraham were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go, serve the Lord your God. That sounds real good, except he then says, who are the ones that are going to be going? <laughs> Can you see, Pharaoh? You may go and serve God. Oh, by the way, who's going to be going? Who's leaving? Who do you think is going? Moses said, we shall go out with our young and our old and our sons and our daughters and our flocks and our herds shall go for us. We'll hold a feast to the Lord. He said, by the way, who, who, who's going to be going? And why did he say this? Because, see, he said, I'm going to decide who goes. Remember, Pharaoh still thinks he's in control. Every time he says, no, this can go. No, you can't do this. You can only go for just a little bit. You can't go very far. So now he says, okay, I'm going to let you go, but here's the question. Who do, who do you think's going? Who's going to go? And they said, we're all going. Young, old, sons, daughters, flocks, herds, we're all going. But notice verse 10. Then he said to them, thus may the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Take heed, for evil is in your mind. Do you know what he's saying? This is a powerful statement. The only way I'll ever let you go is you're going to have to have the Lord with you. Well, guess what? That's how we're going. That's how we're going. By the way, he knows this. He knows if he has their children, they got to come back. He knows if he lets them go but to keep the kids, they can't leave their children. So he says, you know, you can, you can, you, you can let the men. Look, look at verse 11. Not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is your desire. I'll let you go. I'll let the men go. But he says, if you let the men go, what's going to happen? They're going to come back for their women and children. So look what he says. Not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that's your desire. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. He said, you know what? I'm in control. I decide who goes and who doesn't go. I'm the God around here. And Moses said, boy, is he mixed up, right? He doesn't have a clue. He don't have a clue. You'd think by, by seven plagues, he would have picked up on this. So what would happen? The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that may come upon the land of Egypt and every plant of the land, even all that the hell has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locust. I mean, the wind was blowing. And people said, you know, the wind is blowing a long time. It's blowing all night. It's blowing. It blew all, that, blew all day, blew all night. We woke up the next morning, and we look. And coming from the east, the sky is black with them. The locusts came up over the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. Do you think that's kind of a... Small statement there. You know, they were very numerous. There had never been so many locusts, nor there would ever be so many again. For they covered the surface of the whole land, so the land was darkened. And they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hell had left. Nothing green was, thus nothing green was left on the tree or the plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Never before there been anything like this. Never has there ever been. There were just 
locust everywhere. And, and, and I, I read something about this. A locust is capable of eating its own weight daily. And that one square mile, one square mile can contain between 100 million and 200 million locusts. And they have been, they've, they've seen swarms of, of, uh, that would cover 4,000 square miles. They can eat up to 60 miles a day as they go. 1963 in South Africa, some locusts covered a section of 30,000 square miles. What do you think Egypt looked like? Because what happened this day was much worse than anything that's ever happened on the face of the earth. You could almost see people saying, "We, t- Pharaoh, we told you. Now, why locusts? Because there was a god called Sephira, which was the god that was supposed to protect them from the locusts. Egypt lost all their crops. Well, look at the response. Verse 16, Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron and said, Now, what a statement. I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. I can't even believe he... First of all, I can't even believe he would say that. Can you? As prideful as he's been all the way through this, and what does he say? He said, I've sinned against the Lord, your God. I admit it. I've sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. Now, I think when your back is to the wall and when you realize what's going on, you'll say anything. Because we're going to notice he'll say anything, and then as soon as the pressure's off, he changes his mind. As soon as the plague is over, he says, I've decided you can't go. What does he say? I have sinned against the Lord and against you. Therefore, please, now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and make supplication to the Lord your God that he would remove that he would only remove this death from me. So he calls the locust death. Why? Why? They kill eight of every food, all the food. There's nothing left of them to eat. They're eating everything up. Remove this death from me. Wow. He went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. Notice that who does Pharaoh say is causing all of this? Hmm? Who does, who does Pharaoh say is causing all this? He says, go make supplication to who? The Lord your God. Pharaoh is admitting that it is the true, it is God who brought all this. So look what happened. He went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locust and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. God used the wind to bring them. He used the wind to take them away. Isn't that amazing? Look at verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not let the sons of Israel go. That's not fair. It's not fair. See, because if God hadn't hardened his heart, he'd let him go. What do you think? You think if God had not hardened Pharaoh's heart, he would have let him go right here. What do you think? Uh, has Pharaoh hardened his heart a whole bunch of times already? What makes us think he's going to change? Now, here's the last plague, or the last of the cycle. As we got it here, another plague, the cycle. There's no warning on this, remember? First plague, go out in the morning. Second one, go to the Pharaoh. The third one, no warning. Here's no warning. Look what happened. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Have you ever been someplace where you couldn't see any light at all? It's, it's a weird feeling, isn't it? I mean, it actually feels heavy. When I was a kid, well, I was 17, 16, 17, my daddy, we, we left Mississippi and we went out west and we went to Carlsbad Caverns. Everybody been in there? And you go down there and then they turn off the lights? It's pitch back and you can't see anything. And I remember you go, I hope they turn them back on, you know, because we'll never get out of here, you know, because it, it's the fe- weird feeling when it's really black. And this is what it said. It said, the Lord said, Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. It's thick darkness. And, and uh, it, it, it indicates that, uh, would you go back, I'm sorry, I think I didn't, it indicates that the lights actually didn't work. It's like the candles didn't penetrate the darkness because it says um, uh, they didn't see one another, nor did they rise from the place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had lights in their dwelling. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. It's like saying while the, in, the, in Egypt, where the Egyptians lived, you couldn't see, and you, you couldn't even get up and go out because it was so dark. It said you couldn't even rise from your place. You couldn't even see to get around your house. And you light a candle, it wouldn't work. You're saying that something's wrong. But Israel, the sons of Israel had light in all their dwellings. They had light in all their dwellings. So darkness for three days. They couldn't even go out of the house. Now, why darkness? Well, because, remember, Ra, the sun god, this is another judgment on the Egyptians. He was the light of warmth, but he's not the God in control. God's in control. I think it's a big overall picture of Egypt being in darkness, rejecting the true God, because that's what happens when you, you know, God is light and in him is no darkness. He is the creator of light. He said, let there be light. Without Jesus Christ, we're in darkness. I mean, that's the way it is. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because they're what? Their deeds are evil. That's what it says. We go from death to life and from darkness to light. But in Israel, they had light in their dwellings. So look at verse 24. Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Okay, that sounds okay, right? If we stop right there, it sounds pretty good. But notice, go serve the Lord only. Let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. Whoa, oh, he's saying... Men, women, and children can go. But what, what's got to stay? All the animals. Because he knows what? They're not leaving without their animals. So look how Moses answers. Because I, I really, uh, uh, you know, he, he's still, he's still got to what? He's still got to, he's got to be in control. He's still got to be in control. So I love what Moses says. Look this. He said, you little ones can go with you. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore, our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And by the way, and until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know what with what we shall serve the Lord. He said, we got to take our animals because what if we get there and he says, you need some sheep and we didn't bring them. We, we have to we have to take all our animals because we don't know what God's going to ask for us when we get out there. Amazing. We need the animals for sacrifices because we don't know what we're going to need. Verse 27, what does it say? The Lord, but the Lord hardened 
Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. When I, I see this, and, and if you only read this part, you'll think that Pharaoh had no control over anything that was happening. But we already know that the first five plagues, Pharaoh made every decision and hardened his heart all the way through. It wasn't until after the fifth or sixth plague before God ever even intervened in Pharaoh. Now, let me ask you this. Have you, have you ever said something uh, that you thought was true, but, but it wasn't? Like, I'm never going to do that again. And then you do it again. Or, uh, you know, both Pharaoh and Moses say something right here that's wrong. Watch. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Beware, do not see my face again. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. What is he telling Moses? If I ever see you again, what? I'm going to kill you. Let me ask you a question. Will Pharaoh see Moses again? Does he kill him? No. Let's go ahead. Now, what, what does Moses say? Moses said, you are right. I shall never see your face again. Does Moses go back and see him? He does. In fact, all we get is chapter 11. We get into chapter 11, and there you see Moses before Pharaoh, and you want to say, hey, wait a minute, I thought you said you'd kill him next time you saw him. I thought you said you'd never go back and see him. Be careful what you say. 1 Corinthians 10, take heed lest you think you stand, you what? You fall. Be careful when you say, I would never do that, or I'm not going to do that. Oh, well, this is the last time I'm coming to this. You don't know. Be careful what you say. Careful what you say. Pharaoh says, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you. And Moses said, you're right. You're never going to see me again. God says, Moses, you got one more plague. You got to go back at least one more time. You got one more plague. The death of the firstborn. I have to say that I remember, and we'll see it in the next couple of weeks, and then it won't be long. We'll be switching over to Sunday night on this. But I trusted Christ when I was 19. And so I remember after trusting Christ, it was February 13th, I started reading the Bible. I never had a Bible, and, and the pastor who led me to Christ gave me a Bible. I never had a Bible. So I started, of course, immediately in the front, and I read Genesis, and it was, I, I thought, amazing. I never heard that. I had never heard that. Then I got into Exodus. This was incredible. I'm talking about frogs. I'm talking about all I mean, This was so good. And I got over there, chapters 12, 13, 14, and the, the death of the firstborn. And it really hit me because my hometown in those days was Meridian, Mississippi, and it was 40,000 people. And it says in this passage that in the entire land of Egypt, there was not one home in which someone was not dead. I mean, every home somebody died. And I remember thinking, reading that, what if I went back to my hometown and one morning, everybody woke up, and every home in that town, somebody died that night. I thought, how horrible would that be? And that's just a town of 40,000 people. And I remember it hit me like this whole nation, because of their rebellion, every home, somebody died. Now, I've got to say one thing. Do you realize that in every home, both Jews and Egyptians, Somebody died in every home. 
In the Egyptians' home is the firstborn. In the Jews' home is the Passover lamb. Died in their place. That's the substitute. Every human being is going to die. But some have a substitute to die in their place. And that's Jesus Christ. It's amazing. But what are we saying? Let's think about this. That God rejects, uh, God judges rejection. I mean, that's what he does. Egypt continually rejects. It continually rejects. They've got pride and stubbornness of Pharaoh. So what does God do? God brings judgment on them. And, and the truth is this. If you're hard-hearted, what may happen to you? You may get to the point, you know, you read Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, and there's a point where God gives you over to your own lust and desires. He just lets you go. He lets you go. Read Romans chapter 1. Read it carefully. You look at that and you go, God gave them over. God gave them over three different times. God gave them over. It means God says, I'll let you do what you want then. You want to be hard-hearted? You be hard-hearted. You want to reject me? Then you reject me. That's what he does. God judges rejection. Number two, let's pass the truths of our God and Savior to our children. What did he say? I did these signs so that you could tell your son and your grandson. The truth is we have the responsibility to pass them on to our children, to our family, the truths of salvation and faith and all that. What's the role of the parents? role of the parents, Ephesians 6, train them up. It's because fathers are listed there. Abraham Lincoln said this, There's only one way to bring up a child in the way that he should go, and that is that the parents should travel that way themselves. There's a saying that says, one day, par- one day parents, our children will follow our examples rather than our advice. That's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What's powerful stuff? Are we training our children in the truths of the Lord? Are we training our family members? Doesn't necessarily have to be just our children. It has to be those that are in connected with us. And it could be our church family that is talking about here where you pass it on. The third thing is just to think about this, that God is light. And because that's what we see in this thing, that he is the, the way of salvation and in Egypt is the darkness and, and, and God is the light. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the light of the world. And we need to proclaim the light, Jesus Christ. So may we come to the light of the world, Jesus Christ, for salvation. May we proclaim him in this community. And may we pass on to our children and our family and our church family the truths of God's word and the truths about Christ. I think about Sunday mornings. You know, I, This is where I'm standing at Sunday school and going on. All around us, there are people teaching little kids. It's so amazing. And they're teaching them. And they're, think about it. It really gets to me. I don't know why it gets to me. But there's some kids on a Sunday morning for the first time in their life, they hear about Jesus Christ in these rooms because you teach them. Isn't that amazing? And they're going to grow up knowing Jesus Christ because you do it. I mean, we tell people, they can't find any teachers. I say, look, there ought to be hundreds of people saying, I'll get in there. I'd love to teach them about Jesus. And think about Awana. We say, boy, we need some helpers in Awana. There ought to be people lining up saying, I want to get in there and train up these kids and help them know the truth about Jesus Christ. That's the greatest thing you could ever do. So do it, right? Let's, let's do it. Okay, let me pray. And then we'll open it up for anything. Heavenly Father. 
Thank you, Lord, for the truths. It's just so much there as we think about our Savior and we think about Jesus Christ being the light of the world and that, that, uh, that we want to pass these great truths on. And, Lord, that when people reject, there's, there's judgment. He that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Thank you, Lord, that you... You, you, you give us grace and you proclaim the message and that whosoever will will have eternal life. Thank you, whoever believes. And I pray, Lord, that you'll use us to teach the little ones and to, to spread the word in this community and, to, and to, to serve and to be used by you to make an impact. Thank you that you are the light of the world and that you give eternal life. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, anybody have any questions or anything about, about the passage tonight or just anything? Yeah. I know we don't know for sure, but I always wonder if Moses and Aaron hung around the palace. And the reason why is because, especially here, they couldn't see to walk outside. Somebody could go get Moses. Well, I don't know. You know, it's funny that that they're all, of course, this, you know, what does it really say? It says, it says, um, about the darkness, yeah, he called Moses. And so we're saying that the people couldn't hardly see, but Moses, where Moses was, it was light. Well, now, but, but we don't know what it was like when he got there, yeah. But where was Moses? I, mean, how did I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't say. Yeah, pro- probably texted him. Yeah. yeah. Could you come to Pharaoh's house now? Howdy ho, howdy ho, howdy ho. Okay, you know, I <laughs> I don't, I don't know if he did. I, I think, I personally think that Moses and Aaron stayed in Goshen until they were to confront the, the Pharaoh. I, you know, we're going to see next time in chapter 11, Moses was famous. Listen to what it says. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. See, Moses grew up there. A lot of people may have remembered him. Remember, he was in Pharaoh's household for 40 years, and then now he's 80 years old, coming back. But, but he's, so, he's so powerful because he's representing the living God, and everything he says comes to pass. And people are going, we don't need to be messing with this man and his God. So I don't know. I don't know how they got back and forth. I mean, you know, we talked about it last week when all the hail and lightning are coming down, and Moses goes over there. And I said, did it just miss him? Or was he just saying, it's not going to hit me because I'm, I'm God's messenger. can't hit me. You know, so I don't know. It's just amazing. Um. I'd have to get the map, but it's it like Goshen's like if this is Egypt, northern part of Egypt, Goshen's up there, and where we think Pharaoh and where we think where that Pharaoh was was not that far. I mean, it's not like traveling uh, fifty miles. It was probably there was, was because remember what was Goshen called? It was called the best part of the land of Egypt. Where do you think Pharaoh's going to live? He's going to live right there. Yeah, so it's it's all close together. Yeah. What else? What else? Oh yeah, Gary. Right. Mm-hmm. 
did you look did you look at chapter eleven yet? You're exactly right in chapter eleven. If I, well, I can remember, I've read so much of, but uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, oh shoot, I'm, I'm, I forget where it was because there's a place and I just don't see it right this second. But mo- oh it, yeah, verse eight of uh, Exodus eleven it says, and he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. That's Moses. He's saying. You got one more, one more. It's going to be real bad. And I'm leaving too, and I'm mad about it. You know, I mean, you can just see him being mad. So I, you're right. But he knew this was the last one because God told him it was the last one. But you're right. Moses had a, Moses had a temper, right? God had to take Moses who thought. Think about it. We saw it back, you know, and uh, the, the Moses who thought everybody, the Jewish people, should recognize he is the great leader. And that he's going to be the one to lead the people out. He's grown up in Pharaoh's household. He's been trained in all the wisdom. He's the man. He thought everybody would follow him, and they didn't. And and so God had to break Moses over 40 years in the backside of the desert to get him ready to be able to be the shepherd of Israel. So you're exactly right. But I think I think Moses' anger um, is probably righteous anger. Probably righteous anger. Because, I mean, Pharaoh is, is uh, he says, all the servants will come bow down to me and all this stuff. And then he went out. He, he told him, he said, everybody's going to come bow down and we, we're leaving. And then he went out angry. Boy, tough. And by the way, not all anger sin, right? Be angry and what? Sin not. So you can be angry and not sin because it's basically uh, what you're angry about and how you respond to it. Some people say, well, you shouldn't get mad. He said, uh, if, 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 uh, if a big guy's beating up a little guy, you don't think I'm going to get mad about that? Because that's not supposed to happen. We're going to go stop that, right? Isn't it righteous anger? You know. Okay, Maxine, did you have your hand up? The, uh, the Egyptians lost their firstborn. But do you think because some of the leaders had already confronted Pharaoh and said, let these people do what they want to do. They're So let me let me see if I think you're saying this right. You're saying you think some of the Egyptians might have put a lamb, might have killed a lamb, put the blood on the door. I think you're exactly right. I think as we look at the passage, you're going to see that it implies that not just Jewish people did that, but people who believed. And then we're going to see that when the Jewish people came out, more came out besides Jewish people. There were Egyptian people who left with them. So when we say put the blood on the door, that that is implying that if anybody would put the blood on the door, he would see the blood in Passover. It just He didn't say only Jewish people. That's why it's a foreshadow that who is saved? Anybody, not just Jewish people, not just Gentile people, but any people that believe. So, good, good stuff. I bet there were. What do you think? I bet there were. I bet there were. We know that everyone that put the blood on the door was delivered from Egypt. 
and came out. That didn't mean they made it to the promised land. Because a lot of them didn't. A lot of them didn't trust God to get into the promised land. That, that what, promised land is not salvation. Salvation is coming out of Egypt. Promised land is rewards and victory in the Christian life. That's what the picture is. Yeah, Moses didn't make it. Aaron didn't make it either. Miriam didn't make it. It, well, it sure did. It sure did. Did you have a question? I'm sorry, say that again. Why don't you tell what the first time? Tell. Why didn't he just do that one first? Okay. So why did he do? Why? Why didn't he do this plague first? Is that what you're saying? If he'd let him go the first time? No, why didn't he just stop like he was doing the first time? And let him go? Because he had a hard heart and he did not want to admit that the true God was God. He wanted to say he's God. So Pharaoh said, I'm God, not true God. I do what I want. And so he kept rejecting God. Well, I think it's ridiculous too. And the, well, how many of y'all think that's ridiculous? It is. You're exactly right. Exactly right. What else? What else? Anything else? You got something? Okay. Well, that's a great question because Gary asked sort of the same thing. How could they get around, get out of those places where there wasn't any light? I don't know. I don't know how Moses got to see Pharaoh when everything was dark. But you know it what you know when it says there was darkness for how many days? Three days. And then Pharaoh called for Moses. Could it have been that after three days the darkness is gone and then Moses comes? Could be. That's the point. So it may have been that the the darkness didn't just go on and on and on and on lasted for three days. Anybody got a picture you see any picture of, of darkness for three days? No, not really. No, no picture of as John was in the belly of the grave for three days and three nights. So must the son of man be in the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights, right? There's something about three days of darkness. And, and you know, it, maybe there's something there. I don't know. What do you think? No, I don't think it was very light in there. Yeah. I, w- I do want to say one thing. If most of you have studied Jonah, and Jonah was thrown in the, it was thrown out of the boat, and a big fish swallowed him. And I think that a lot of people, when you think of Jonah and the big fish, you think of the punishment for Jonah was being swallowed by the fish. That's what a lot of people think, you know, because here he was, and they threw him overboard, and a big old fish swallowed him. The truth is, the fish saved his life. The 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 salvation of Jonah was the fish. He was drowning. Jonah chapter two. He praises God for allowing the fish to swallow him keep him from drowning. He stayed, in a sense, he stayed in that fish three days and three nights, and then the fish threw him up on the shore. And in John chapter 2, he thanks God for saving him by having the fish swallow him. So the fish swallowing him was his salvation. Uh, a lot of people just miss that. And so as Jonah chapter 3 starts, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, God said, I'll give you another chance. How many times has he given you another chance and another chance? 
and another chance, right? Over and over and over and over again. I'm so glad he does. What if he killed us about at the second time? What if he said, you know, I'm going to let you do something. If you mess up, I'll give you another chance. But if you got one more chance and you're gone, right? There wouldn't be anybody here. God's a God of grace. 